Angelo once said, Courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Welcome to Building Grit, one call at a time. Every human being will be faced with a massive challenge. How you deal with problems is based on grit, determination, perseverance, and will. On this show, we talk to people who face challenges and how they dealt with them. This is Building Grit, one call at a time. And this is your host, Nick Wingo. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Building Grit, one call at a time. In this podcast, I use my experiences that I've had as a firefighter to in turn show you that you're not alone, that you're not in a space where you are the only one that has something bad that has happened to you or is happening to you. And often what I get to do is interview people who have a story so that you can see and hear from real people and not just hear my voice telling you these things that I see, but you can actually hear them from people who have experienced them And so you can get their raw and real feelings of how they are and what they've gone through. And today, I am super excited to introduce to you guys, Angie Manson. How are you doing, Angie? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, We met through Arate. Arate has been uh, just an amazing group. I've met some amazing people. I've gotten the opportunity to chat with some people who are doing way cooler stuff than me, in my opinion. So... Tell me a little bit about what you do. I know you have the Elevate Addiction Services, but tell me what that is. Tell me what you got going on. I'm really excited to hear more about it. So yeah, I I run Elevate Addiction Services. We are an inpatient, well, we also offer outpatient now, a residential treatment program located in Northern California. We have two locations, one in Santa Cruz and one in South Lake Tahoe. We utilize holistic means of treating the body, mind, and soul, the whole person, the individual, and uh, sort of empowering the individual to overcome their addiction as opposed to feeling powerless over a disease. Our modality is a little different than the norm. We utilize things like CrossFit to really teach a person how to get those endorphins going again naturally and get that feel-good kind of movement. And uh, we utilize mindfulness and really like a lot of focus also on accountability so that the person can sort of own themselves and their past instead of being the victim of it. And then that puts them at cause over their actions going forward. Man, I love that. It's, uh, it's such, you know, it's so good to feel good helping other people. And I found that often where my most joy comes from is when I am helping people and helping them get to uh, the level that they want to be, you know, and just helping them through the difficult times. But here's the thing is that we don't always, we don't get to the end road without a story of ourselves. And what I'm gathering and kind of feeling from you is that you got a really good story to tell me behind this and explain uh, how you ended up to where you are right now. I definitely do. And, you know, I, I, it's not super rehearsed, so I'm just going to, you know, speak from the heart. I am learning to own it more. You know, I've gone through so many changes in the last 26 years, but now I'm at a place where I know the story is, is the coolest part about Elevate. So taking it back to when I was young, my mom had me uh, really young. She was barely out of high school. She was 18. So I grew up in um, low-income housing, and she was working two jobs to support she and I. Uh, She didn't want to be dependent on the system whatsoever. And so I started getting into trouble because she was gone so much. That was the latchkey generation where we were allowed to be by ourselves at a very young age. And so that was the norm. 
That was a hundred percent. That was the norm. Yeah, that was the thing you did, and you were a product of your environment. And I was surrounded um, with other kids in the same situation. So I had started drinking, smoking, smoking weed all by the age of eleven. I also Man, had that's a, um, that's a early that's young that's a young age to be involved in something like that. And did I you didn't have, realize how young until I had kids who were eleven, and I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't even imagine you guys doing drugs and alcohol right now. You're like kids. It's crazy. So, did that come from because you were around older kids or was there other kids that you were age that were doing it or how did, like, how did you get caught up in that? It was a little of both. I also had exposure from my aunt and uncle because my mom was the first out of six kids. And then there was me. I was almost like the seventh kid of this bigger family. And so I had aunts and uncles that were exposing me to stuff very young thinking it was cool to get the, you know, the younger kid involved. And then there was the kids in my neighborhood who we were all around the same ages. And so we had access to parents, cigarettes and their alcohol. And we were just like a little, little gang. And uh, it just became the norm. Interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. So by the time I was 16, I had been arrested six times as a juvenile, different things. Um, I had ran away. I skipped school a lot. I got into stealing. Um, which I felt very justified in because I was poor, which, you know, the mind works in bad ways. But, um, and at 16, I was definitely not convinced I had a problem. Um, Didn't think it was a problem. And in that first rehab I was in, I just met new and other kids to start partying with. Because at that age, not a lot of people are ready to get clean. Somehow, by the time I was 18, I don't even, I'm not even quite sure, I was able to graduate high school by the skin of my teeth. I walked away with the diploma which was super cool. But then by the time I was 20, through lots more ups and downs, I was facing some pretty, after a couple more arrests, I was now facing some prison time. And I was told by the judge that you can either go get yourself into a program or you can go to prison for 10 years. It's your choice. And obviously that was an easy choice. Absolutely. Pretty definitely an easy choice. So if you don't mind me just asking you a question right now, when you were younger, was it just the absence of your parents not being there that, that caused you to do those things? Or were, did they, did, were they there and just didn't really interject on you, put, you know, things on you or did they? Because so, you know, sometimes parents put a lot of, you know, stuff on their kids like you won't do this, you won't do that. And then they lash out. So tell me for you, what, what was that? What did that situation look like? It was a little of all that. My mom tried the best she could, but she had to work two jobs. So she would ground me. There was one point where she actually grounded me to the house, but I wasn't allowed in the house. So I was grounded to the backyard, (laughs) but they didn't come home till five. I'm like, okay. Like, so they really tried like tough love. They tried all kinds of things. I was very sneaky. I was very much trying to fly under the radar. Uh, She was not co-signing anything that I was doing. But I would utilize anything that she would try to do against her. Being any good drug addict, I would just manipulate the situation. So, you know, she was single my whole life for the most part. And then she finally met a guy. And so then I just used that against her the whole time. Like, well, I'm so distraught, this new man that's going to be my dad. In reality, I didn't care. In fact, I was excited because now she was sidetracked so I could do more of what I wanted to do. So I was just a master manipulator where I was just trying to continue using. I, I loved the way it made me feel. I wanted to check out. And that was just the norm. Hmm, interesting. So you learned how to manipulate. Do you use that the right way now as you've gotten older and as you've aged? Like, have you learned how to turn that into manipulating things for, you know, sometimes using manipulate is like, a. I don't, some people take it as like a derogatory term. 
However, I think that you can reframe it and say, do you use that to get the things that you want and help people get the things that they want? A thousand percent. Like I've realized that's kind of my superpower is I'm very good at reading people. Andy was talking about it this week, like reading other people's energies. So I kind of look in between what they're not saying and how they're reacting or how they're handling situations. I'm consistently just psychoanalyzing situations about like seeing all the all the stuff surrounding it i used to laugh there's um I, you remember the movie casino uh, mm -hmm. robert de niro's character like he would know if the quarterback's girlfriend was pregnant he would know all these things so that he could make a decision to do his betting and i'm kind of like that as a boss like i know everything i need to know everything about everything so i'm making all the right decisions for all my people and my business and all that i think it can annoy people sometimes but i love it i feel like it makes me who i am I love it. I love it, man. I really, I, I am trying to get better about meeting people in their space, uh, using my, my intuition. That's one of my core values. We'll talk about that after a bit, but I really, really try to use my intuition with people so I can help them get what they want so I can get what I want. And I've learned that I will never get what I want unless I help people get what they want. Because honestly, people don't really give a shit about what you want until you provide for them what they want, right? Absolutely. And uh, continuing to learn that, you know, even now all the time. Absolutely. So you get to 18, you graduate, you've gone through rehab at this point, but you went through rehab and you met some new friends to party with. So you're partying still? Yeah. So at 18, my mom kicked me out the day I turned 18. She's like, you're out of my house. I'm like, but I turned it around. Look, I graduated. She's like, I don't care. You are gone. You've been a pain in my ass. And I, you know, bitter. Use that again, use that against her. But it was like the best she could have ever done. You know, she, she was not going to enable me. And uh, so me and my best friend, she had moved to Santa Cruz. So I followed her to Santa Cruz. And then we just got, we went head deep into, you know, a pretty, pretty bad type of crew back then. And I just got myself into all kinds of trouble. And to the point where, you know, I had, I had tried really hard. I always held a job and I held a job and uh, it was at a car rental place. They allowed me to rent a car and I, got in trouble and I didn't return it and they wanted to hit me with like a pretty hefty charge of embezzlement, which is, you know, that's a felony. And that's, yes. that's what got me to, 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 to judge go to this rehab. 10 years, this 10 years of rehab. Right. And, and even going into rehab at that point, I was like, oh, I get it. I'll just say I have a drug problem so that I can do this instead of going to prison. I see the game. You know, I was still in such denial, even though at such a young age, I had stacked up so much stuff. There was still so much denial that went on there. And the best thing that happened is the judge actually sentenced me to a year. And most programs are not a year long. And I ended up going to the program my best friend had just gone through. Uh, she knew the dad. He was running it out of his house, you know, real backyard kind of thing. And uh, knowing that I had to be there for a year, I kind of started working about midway through my program. And thankfully, that's what saved my life. There was no back door. There was no, you know, oh, let me do this real quick and then get back to what I was doing. It forced me to stay put and really start doing the work. And like you said, giving back to others which is something I'd never done. And then ultimately finding my passion and my purpose, which was helping people in a similar way of how I was being. So it was a godsend. It's exactly what I needed to put me on the path. And, you know, 26 years later, here I still am. 
I love that. That's such an amazing story. And so tell me more about what was it about, like at what point in this, in this rehab do you go, I, I really need to change because you go into the rehab program of like, oh, I get it. Like, I'm just going to play the game. And then a year from now, I get to go back and do the same shit I was doing before. So what was it that really made you go, well, shit, I'm kind of, I have to do this and I'm kind of here. What was that thing? Well, again, fortunately for me, although I was only sentenced to a year, I still had to go back every six months um, because there was this large restitution I had to pay and I was on probation. So every six months, I'd have to go back, tell the judge how I was doing, bring a letter. Oh, you know, Angie's like moved up the rank. She now runs this sort of people. And so even after the year, I still had that accountability. And I knew for myself, like I don't, I, I just, I didn't trust myself. And so wow. then finally, yeah. So, and, and then of course moving up, like I became the right hand man of the guy and I, I was over and, and helping a lot of people. And, and so you know, I, I found true passion and purpose in that and learning and learning about myself and learning about others in a really safe kind of space. And so finally, at the end of three years of going back and forth, the prosecutor wanted to recommend another like three years because I had not made a dent in the restitution that I owed. Because back then, I mean, it was much different times. We didn't pay minimum wage. I didn't care as long as I had a pack of cigarettes and roof over my head. It really didn't matter to me so much. But there was no way I could chip away at this $13,000 that I had owed. And so they wanted to recommend more time. And so the judge and my district, uh, I mean, my public defender kind of looked at it and the judge said, and this is the same judge, mind you, that I've been going back and forth over three years. So he'd seen the changes in me this whole time. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you young lady are the reason why I do this. And I so rarely get to see success cases like this. This is, this is a, the exact example of what due process is supposed to look like and the end result. So he wiped away the restitution. He wiped wow. away the felonies. He wiped away my entire record and wow. said, there you go. And I, you know, I was crying. I couldn't even believe it. It had been such a long journey and to feel like I finally had made up for all the damage I had done. And I'm profusely thanking him. And he's like, you did the work. And I'm like, yeah, but you put me on the path. Thank you. And right. so, you know. At that point, I was then there 100% all in for myself. You know, you, had, you said something that I think is so important that people lack and they forget that it, it has importance. And you said, I found passion and purpose. And so often when we're doing things in life, we are doing things for the wrong reasons. We're doing because we want money or because we want this or we want that or we want a car or we want a, we want a house. And here's the thing. You cannot have those things be your driving factor because if those things were your driving factor, if you would have never found passion and purpose, you would have not got to where you are or where you would not have lost the debt because if you would have not had that passion and purpose, you probably would have went right back to the old Angie doing the, the old things, doing the things that, because, Hey, it, it doesn't really matter. I'm just doing this thing because I know I have to. But when you find passion and purpose, man, it is so much different. Would you agree with me? A million percent. I mean, I often say, and it's kind of weird to say, but the best thing that ever happened to me was becoming a drug addict because honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. Zero aspirations of college because I didn't even know what I wanted to do when I grow up. I knew I wanted to have family someday. That was about as far as I got. So going down this path actually led me to something that I don't know if I ever would have found. And because 
I embraced it so much and I got so much out of it. That's sort of what I've pushed down the line. Like if you look at my staff now, and so obviously, you know, 26 years later, now I run the whole operation. I'm, I'm the boss. I have 80 plus staff. 95% of them have all come through the program. They've all been put on the same path, went through, got sober, found that sort of passion and purpose, which it's kind of hard to find these days on your own unless you're put into a situation to be able to really experience it. And that's my staff and that's our core values. That's like why we have such a strong group because we're such a like-minded type individual. Man, I love the fact that you bring in the people. I mean, it's so hard to find organizations these days that bring in the people that have been through it and work through it. And now you're blessing them and helping them to become the best versions of themselves because you know, like, hey, I'm going to give these guys an opportunity because there's a lot, because a lot of people coming out of rehab, they don't get that opportunity. A lot of them won't get the opportunity because of their past, because of the things that have happened to them. Absolutely. And we're trying to remove the stigma because there are so many diamonds in the rough. There's so many amazing people that just took a wrong turn. But if you can get them back to being those amazing people, they're amazing employees. They're fantastic people. They deserve that. Well, and actually, I think in my opinion, people who have been addicts are often the best employees because they do everything like full bore. They go all in on things. Like that's part of the thing. That's part of addiction. When you have addiction, you go all in on stuff from what I've seen and what I've been around. Um, and so yeah. those type of people are amazing. They do. They have these amazing capabilities and you're helping them see that and do that. And man, I like I, Hats off to you because somebody who is willing to do that and see that is so great and amazing because right now, so often, uh, really in, the, in the, the, the culture we live in right now is it's everybody be pissed off at everybody. And so like, there's not a lot of passion anymore. I think that's one of the biggest problems we have as a nation is we lack passion. Absolutely. Well, and it's so interesting too, because I used to, because it would get used against us by people who are unhappy. Oh, you know, you just have a bunch of drug addicts running your place. But the reality is, and so I would like try to downplay it. It's like, oh no, we're all professionals. Look at the lab coats, look at the degrees, but that's just not us. The reality is it takes one to know one. And the fact that all these people have walked that walk and have been on the other side, that is what creates that passion because their lives have all been changed by their past. And now they're able to give back and contribute. And I've always felt so fortunate because for some people, their job is their job. And now they have to go find that thing that makes them feel good, that purpose, that passion in their spare time. And it's not just where they work. For us, it's all one. So it kind of gives you a lot of extra time because you're all in on the thing that makes you feel great. And by the way, you get a paycheck and a great group of friends to be around that are all like-minded. And my assumption is, and, and I know that sometimes when you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you and me. However, my assumption is, is that these people that you have working for you, now the people who are in your program and they look at these people and go, well, dang, these people did it. Like, I can, pro like, I can probably do this. Like, these people who are helping me did it. Like, I could probably do this, right? Is that part of why your program is just so successful? Because you have people that have been through it? I, I'm sure it is. Absolutely. And, and we speak to them as peers, not as subordinates. And they respect that. You know, they don't want somebody with a stethoscope telling them what their problems are. They want somebody to speak to them and give them the tools for them to figure out what their own problems are. And I think that's a big difference too, because if you have somebody, one box fix all, it's because of what happened to you as a child. It's your childhood trauma. It's like, okay, obviously, 99.999% of drug addicts have trauma as a kid. In fact, I, 
I would assume most people in general do, but everybody's situation is a little different. So we're just there to help guide them along, not authoritatively push them to where they need to go. And they totally respect that. And they know they can't really get away with it because we've been there. We, we know what, they're, what angles are trying to be pulled. You know, I really appreciate this conversation right now because, you know, I relate this back to what I do as a firefighter, as a medic. And so often I find myself getting so frustrated with the people that I pick up off the street because it's the same person who's high on meth, high on coke, high on this. I had to give them Narcan and bring them back. Like, and I've done it multiple times. And then I wake them up and they're nasty and mean to me after I wake them up. Like I've had that happen several times and I'm like, fuck you. I just saved your life. But, you know, I have to really be cautious about the way I look at them because they are still people. They have probably had not the best circumstances. There was something that caused them to get into this. And so I need to remember to have that compassion with them and say, hey, maybe, maybe this time me picking them up and taking them to the hospital, maybe this will be the time that'll catalyst them and, and help them. Maybe this time that I saved them with the Narcan will be the one that they realize like, oh shit, I killed myself. And you know, here I am, I'm alive again because this person is. And so I, I, I have to really lean on that because I deal with hundreds, hundreds. In fact, just recently, if you don't mind me telling you a little story, oh, yeah. um, I had a gal that overdosed and we did CPR for, I don't know, 10 minutes and we gave her some Narcan and she came back and she came back and she started to fight us and tell us that we were not taking her to the hospital because she was going to get Corona and it was going to kill her. And I, I just had to stop for a moment and I was like, listen, bitch, you were just dead. Like you were already dead. You've already been dead. They were like, you can't get any worse than that. So like you have to go to the hospital with me. You have to. Like there's no option. You like you, it's already the worst case scenario. It already happened. Yeah. I yeah. I empathize with you. We go through similar things. We've had people and we live on this beautiful 30 acre overlooking the Monterey Bay open pristine area. And we've had people who are like, this is terrible. Dale's better than this. And we're like, there's no locks on the door. You're not being forced to eat terrible food. You're not being locked in a cell. How, how can this even be just as bad? And it's funny you mentioned compassion. And this is why I made this one of our core values, which is genuinely compassionate for others because it's so easy to get jaded when you're being treated poorly by people that you're trying to help. And that's yes. really where that compassion has to come in. And we get it too. I mean, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. Like we get a lot of people who were just like me, who didn't actually even want to be there, aren't there because of their choice. And we, we got to push hard to get them to that point where they are there for themselves. Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's such an interesting space to be in, in my profession, but it's always good to get that outward perspective. And that's why I love doing this because it, it reinvigorates me. It gives me like that time to like stop and think like, oh man, one of the big things I preach on and, and I always I always say like hey the things I preach on it's because I'm working on them like so if I tell you things it's because I'm working through them so one of the biggest things that I lean into is that people's greatest weaknesses and their greatest faults is what becomes their greatest strengths and their greatest passion and so I have to remember that those things that are going on because even I've had like I went through about where I drank myself I, I was suicidal and so how am I any better than the person who was doing drugs or had that, like how is my situation any better or any different than theirs? 
And so if you're listening to this and like you're struggling through things, number one, the whole point is no, you're not alone. And number two, like have some passion for people, have some compassion and understand some people are just, they're just, they are where they are and they just need the right person. They need one person to, to give them uh, the ability to get where they need to go. They need one person to lift them up and maybe you need to be that person. And how are you going to be that person if you don't have compassion? And if you go around and you you look at people and you tell them how they're not going to make it and how terrible they are and uh, what a piece of crap they are, like that's not helping the situation. It's not helping you. It's not helping them. And I understand. Like sometimes it's frustrating as a person who is surrounded by an addict. It's got to be frustrating. Oh yeah. And you've been burned so many times and you've heard it a million times and you want them to figure it out. And it's a fine line of enabling and codependence and then actually pushing them to go do the right thing and holding that hard line. Like even when they come into the program, we have somebody full time who works with families to sort of try to break that cycle of an enabling and codependence because the families, oh, he's fixed now, he can come home, or oh, he said it was so terrible and this is happening. It's like, okay, let's let's look back and see what's helped create the situation and stop this perpetual cycle that keeps happening. Yeah, I guess the thing I should have said is it has to be the right person. Yeah. And so there has to be the whole environment that, that that comes up. But like it has some people have to they've been helping too much or giving too much enabling and they need to sever. And then like yourself needs to come in and you need to take over and be the one that has the passion to help them and compassion to get through where it is. So you may be on either end. Like you may need to just stop and stop enabling or you can be the person who needs to help that person get to where they need to go. And either way, you just need to really evaluate where you are and why you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, again, have that compassion on both well, sides. That's why it's important to reach out and talk to professionals to help guide you because if you're in it, you obviously don't know how to get out of it. So talk to somebody that can help put you on the right path of, okay, here's the next steps that you need to take, you know, cut them off, cut off their cars, do this, or, Hey, you haven't seen them, heard them. How about you offer them the solution? Look at this amazing thing. So yeah, don't, don't expect to know the answers because it's different for everybody. And obviously if you knew the answers, you wouldn't be in the situation. So reach out for help. Don't be afraid to get help. Absolutely, man. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. It seems like you have such great compassion. It seems like you have that passion and purpose that you found. What I always do on my podcast is my values are building grit through gratitude, resilience, intuition, and tenacity. And so I, I want to ask you, Angie, how are you doing gratitude every day? What is it that you're doing to have gratitude? Um, it's so funny. I actually have this cool little thing that I picked up and I, I roll these dice. I'm a big game player. So anytime I can put games into my life, it makes it more exciting for me. And I roll these little dice and it's a number and a letter. And then I have three M's I need to be grateful for today. And I have this cool little jar that I made myself and I just write it, write it and I put it in my jar. And that just keeps the gratitude part right there at the forefront for me and always keeping it creative and not having it get rogue and just like this little process that I run through. It keeps it more exciting and more genuine for me. I love that. This is one of the reasons that I, I bring this up on my podcast is that I know people are not having gratitude like they should. And if people would really have gratitude, it would change the way they think about, think about things. And so one of the biggest reasons I ask people about my, my values is so that they can maybe pick something or get something out of it so they can use to go back and uh, have gratitude. So, hey, get some dice. 
write some stuff yeah. down. Yeah, I the love dice are that. so fun. I mean, it just makes it a game. It's like, who doesn't want to roll dice? All right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's such a great little hack. What a great hack, Angie. I, bet, I might have to buy some dice. Yeah, I'll send you the link. It's amazing. That's, All and, right. And I, I discovered that during COVID because, I, to be honest, in the beginning, I was really struggling finding things to be grateful for. You know, my son was in his senior year of high school. And so, you know, to watch him lose prom, watch him lose the senior this and this, our senior trip to Disneyland that I was gonna chaperone and just all those things, just watching all those things go away. My business was struggling. Like I, I was in a dark place myself. And so I really had to find hacks like that to, to pull me up out of it and find things to be grateful for and a reason to find things to be grateful for. I love that. How are you, being resilient? Just pivoting constantly. You know, we uh, have thankfully have become or are an essential business. So we kept our doors open the whole time. We're finding ways to deliver virtually. We're finding ways to what we keep working out because we are an essential business. And I just keep getting up over and over and over and over again. I even have a tattoo on the back of my neck that says persistence. And that's why 26 years later, I'm still here. I mean, Rehab industry is a very difficult industry. You're not dealing with people who are well, but then you're also having to deal with like big enemies like big pharma and insurance companies and people Mm. who don't want to put money into you because there's cheaper, easier ways of going about things. And so- yes. We've, and then there was a lot of corruption because people saw, oh, let me get into rehab. Yeah, the UAs, and we can just make a ton of money, and they had bad purposes for getting into rehab, and it just like really tarnished the whole field. And so we've had to we've had to adapt and adjust and pivot so many times over the years. And if I wasn't resilient, we wouldn't be here today. I love that. That's uh, man, so awesome. You know, the big thing that you said, you get up every day and you show up. You don't just lay in bed like you still roll out of bed and you get up and you do the things you got to do. I love that. It's such a great thing to say because so often we get out of bed, but we don't show up. We don't really get out of bed. We, our bodies may get out of bed and we may go through the motions, but our minds stay in the bed. We don't, we're not creative. We aren't trying to do new things. We aren't um, just doing the things we need to do. So, you know, sometimes people think, well, I got out of bed. Well, yeah, you got out of bed, but did you really get out of bed? Were you really, are you consciously getting out of bed or are you just getting out of bed and going through the motions? So I, I really like that. Well, and you have to look at it like your actions and emotions affect other people. You know, for myself, thankfully being in a leadership position, I have to show up with a big smile and we can do this kind of thing every day to help push everybody else through. And the few times and literally out of all this time, I think of two times where I broke down, I was vulnerable. I was like, this is it. You know, I thought it was the end of the world and it just had devastating effects across the rest of the group. And so like as a leader, you can't have bad days. You can't show weakness or vulnerability because it literally shakes and rocks the entire foundation beneath you. And so, you know, you gotta, you gotta, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but you've got to be strong for other people. And for me, that is my strength is be having to be strong for other people. Yeah. I love that. So my big, like one of my biggest ones for me is my intuition. Uh, so often I have uh, not leaned into my intuition and I've always regretted when I, when I don't. And the great thing about your intuition is when you lean into it, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you're going to get what you want and it's going to happen just like you expected it to. Or number two, you're going to mess it up really, really bad and you're going to learn from it and you will never do it that way again. So how do you, how do you use your intuition? 
Oh, I'm in both those ways. I mean, you know, again, I, as the leader of the group, I'll have feelings about things and I'll let myself get talked out of my feelings because other people being rational, you know, will say, well, you know, have you looked at this and this? And then every single time I was right. And in retrospect, I was like, oh, we should have listened to you. And I'm like, I know. And so now I've learned, they've learned, if I have an intuition about something, we're going with it, regardless if it makes sense or doesn't make sense, because the few times that we didn't, it really sent us down a bad path. And so it just, again, it's just something that experience teaches you, and to trust the process and trust the feelings and realize that you're having them for a reason and not doubt why you're having those feelings. And yeah. I think the biggest thing that you miss is trust yourself. Like, Trust the process, trust all the things, trust the feelings, and trust yourself. Trust that you can do it. Yeah, and trust that you know. Your true self actually knows and and go with that. And every time I've done that, you're right. That's never been wrong. I love that, man. You know, I love that so much. Tenacity. So what do you have a firm grip on to right now? What is like the thing you have the firmest grip on to? Like- right now, I am in the middle of, and you'll know this, 75 hard. I'm about on day 24. And so something that I'm firmly doing and I've never done before, the dieting is not a big deal for me. I've been dieting, I feel like my entire adult life in some capacity or another, but it's the working out twice a day, every day, no fail. I'm a big CrossFitter. So, you know, I feel like I get in one really good workout and then I'll take a day off. And I was basically on a three to five day week sort of work week and now having to work out every single day and twice a day on top of that that's the thing that I'm really like taking hold of and being really firm with um, because you know if you miss one day you miss one workout you give yourself a break and out you're starting back over at day one and I'm so competitive that I will not let myself start back over and so you know, there's some nights where I'm up you know out on my and one of them has to be outside out on my deck romwadding at 11 o'clock at night drinking my last 32 ounces of water because you also have to drink water and yeah. I'm just doing it. I'm, like, I'm building that mental toughness, which is what the program. I got through my first go. Like I'm not going to, I don't, would never say no problem, but I got through my first go and then I did it the second time and I failed the day 30 because I overate my macros and it's just only because I'm, I, I'm, I'm holding myself to a higher standard. And so I'm at like day 13. There's days where I'm like, this, oh, it's, it's, it's not easy. I'm just going to say it's not easy. There's a reason it's called 75 hard. Oh yeah. And I've had some emotional days and I just, you know, I cried through my last workout because it was such a hard day, but I just wasn't going to let myself off the hook. I mean, but that's the whole thing it sells itself as is a mental toughness and putting yourself through it regardless of what's happening in the world. And that's why I thought right now is the perfect time to do that. Love it. It is for sure. Um, so let's see here. I think that's about all I got for you. I was looking at, um, I want you to throw out uh, kind of a plug for yourself, what your website is, you know, where, what you got going. Uh, so where people can find you and all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, my program is Elevate Addiction Services, found at elevaterehab.org. We have people standing by 24 hours a day. If you need help, if you need insight, if you need resources, direction, we're here for you for whatever com uh, capacity you need it. Um, even if we're not the right fit, we can help you find the right fit. And then we are also in the middle of a relaunch. We also had a podcast. Um, we, we have about 13 episodes, but I realized we had started it out called the Elevate Addiction Services Podcast, but that's pretty niche and that's pretty narrow. 
And I really wanted to open it up for, you know, a wider variety of guests as well as more topics and more ways to help people. So we're doing a relaunch on that next week um, for Sober Recovery Month. And it is called the Elevate Experience. So hopefully everybody can uh, like, listen, review, you know, all the normal stuff that goes along with that. A lot of great content, really like transparency into my program, which I think is unique and different because I think a lot of programs, if you try to get information on them, it's very vague or guarded. And we are an open book and you'll talk to all my staff and all the different positions that they hold and really understand why Elevate is, is a totally different um, experience than any other kind of rehab. And then also we have very great guests who we work with in the industry and recovery and that sort of Thing. So it's um, highly informational and entertaining, and hopefully it adds value and and understanding for people. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you stepping on to chat with me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'm looking forward to connecting in the future. I hope you have a good afternoon. Thank you. You too. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. You've been listening to Building Grit, one call at a time. Everyone faces challenges, and we talk to people who use grit to be triumphant. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we hope you had some fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with Nick on Facebook at Nick Wingo and on Instagram at building underscore grit. And remember... Victory is always possible for the person who refuses to stop fighting. This is Building Grit One Call at a Time, signing off.